From the Watson Institute at Brown University, this is Brazil Unfiltered. I'm James Green. Deborah Denise is no stranger to controversy. She's an anthropologist and former law professor at the University of Brasilia and an expert on reproductive and sexual health rights. Her work spans issues from gender equality to criminal justice reform. It's often been a target of attacks from far-right activists in Brazil. But her academic production escalated into something new and dangerous last year when Denise helped bring a case to Brazil's Supreme Court to discuss the arguments for decriminalizing abortion. Death threats were made against her. She received police protection and went into hiding prior to the case's final hearings. Today she's living in the U.S., her safety still in question back home. But that hasn't stopped her from fighting for democracy and human rights in Brazil. I spoke with Denise about what it's like living abroad and how her scholarship intersects with her life as an activist. We also discussed the strange parallels between politics in the U.S. and Brazil today. Deborah, what's going on in Brazil today? I would say that Brazilian democracy is under threat. And what does it mean? Is that to be a human rights defender in Brazil at this moment is a risky situation. And my story is an evidence about that. Tell us a little about your story. What happened to you? I used to be a professor at the law department, but also an activist, an activist doing feminist and human rights issues. And I was one of the leading persons to move a Supreme Court case to decriminalize abortion in Brazil. Abortion is against the law and women go to jail. And immediately after that case, I started to suffer life threats. It is a kind of virtual militia, but it was against the university also. So people were sending you messages? Were they email messages? How were you receiving these, th- these death Most threats? of them messages and daily messages and saying that they will kill me if I would go back to the university. But also against the university, saying that they will do a mass shooting against the students. And these threats were literally to... To kill me. Wow. And they described how, how I would be dead. And when you received these messages, what, what did you do? Even though Brazil is now facing a kind of weak, it's a moment of a weak democracy, I do believe that we have to move through the institutions. So I went to the police. I'm now trying to litigate against those that we were able to identify. I'm doing everything that I can do. And you've decided to leave the country. This question is a little bit tricky. When we say decide, I would say that I had to leave the country because I could not have conditions to go to the classroom anymore. I was putting in risk not just my personal life and my family life, but also the students' integrity. So this is a good example of the situation, the dramatic situation of Brazilian democracy. When we say that I had to leave the country, it was not a matter of choice. So this has all happened since Jair Bolsonaro was elected president. So what happened after his election in October in Brazil? Human rights and feminist issues are at the center of his, I would say, his battle against human rights. So to be a human rights defender in Brazil right now, as I said, is a risky situation because of the core of his hate discourse is to fight against human rights defenders. So he has talked about gender ideology as being a tremendous threat to Brazilian universities. In this country, 
if a professor doesn't include issue of gender in their syllabus, they're criticized by students because academia has understood the importance of integrating the optic of gender in any analysis of any socio-political situation. What's going on in Brazil? It's unbelievable how gender is now a dangerous concept. As I said, at the core of his battle is feminist and human rights issues, but at the core of the core is gender. But what does he understand by gender? It's everything that puts masculinity under threat, machismo and the macho culture under threat. So how do you explain this this tremendous, this deep-seated anxiety about women's gaining equal rights or LGBT community demanding equality? What is so threatening to Bolsonaro and his supporters about these movements? I would say gender equality. We have now women at the politics. We have women at the universities. We have women saying we do not want to live under macho culture anymore. The same we have with the LGBTQI community saying we want to be respected. We want to have even legislation to, to be safe and alive. So we live in the region of the globe that kills most women just because they are women. What has been the response in Brazil to Bolsonaro's election? How have people challenged him so far? I would say that we need to understand why he was elected. He was not elected as a matter that we had an alternative to the past governments that we had in the country. We had Bolsonaro as a no. We want to change. We do not want the leftist politicians that we had in the past. It was not a yes for him. It was a no against the status quo. So we have just 100 days of his position in power. And what's happened during those 100 days in Brazil? It's a mess. In what way? And I would say that we have a, a president that is governing by Twitter, like United States, but in a low-level way of doing politics. We have, at this moment, two ministers of education. So just to give you an idea of how they do not know how to be in the power. In other words, they appointed a minister of education who was let go, and there's another minister of education. I've read that he is very concerned about what he calls cultural Marxism infiltrating Brazilian universities. What does he mean by that? They are trying to do a cultural war, if we can use that language. So basically, is spreading out a moral panic, saying they want to change the families, they want to change sexuality, they want to change the way that we understand our moral values, and it's a cultural war that, yes, as I said, is spreading out. So is this meant uh, any persecution of professors in the universities as a result of that? To be a professor at this moment is, again, a risky situation. But not just professors at the university, but professors, teachers at the high school level. So we have some politicians, national politicians now, suggesting that students should record a class to make a political case, saying that the students are now under doctrination, but doctrination for the left or for the feminist causes, it's not, it's not fair. Deborah, how did you decide to become an anthropologist? What's the story of your academic career? I'm now 49. When I was 28, I was a young junior professor doing academic research on abortion, but I was a professor at a Catholic university, and I was fired. 
because of my research. Since that day, I decided to be a human rights activist. So you were doing research on abortion and abortion rights and conditions of women who have unauthorized abortions in Brazil and the health dangers that it involves, and the university censored your research and fired you from that job. So basically, the university said that abortion was not a reliable research, and they could not have someone doing research on abortion in a Catholic university. But a Catholic university is a private university in Brazil receiving money from the government, and we live officially in a secular state. But I was fired. So it was Catholic Church who made me feminist. What are you doing now that you're living outside of Brazil? First of all, I will not, I will not give up. So my decision to come to U.S. was to be in a better position to make what I have to do, to move forward my human rights agenda. But I'm now I have to pay my bills, and I'm working at Brown University as a researcher, but also doing everything that I, that I used to do in Brazil, but from outside. Deborah, what would you say to students here in the United States who might be interested in studying Brazil? How do they understand what's going on there? How do they make sense of Bolsonaro in Brazil? I would say that study Brazil now is to be a scholar and an activist, that you have to be vocal. You have to be involved. There is no way to be the neutral academic talking about politics, climate change in Brazil, or gender issues without being vocal about what is going on in the country. Living outside of Brazil now, you've been able to observe a little bit the international movement that's developed in favor of democracy in Brazil and against the current far-right government. What have you noticed that's been happening outside the country? What have you seen? These two forces at the same time. We have a huge network in the United States that is defending democracy in Brazil now, something that is not in the country, as we have from outside. But at the same time, we do understand that Brazil is not alone in this wide-wing movement that has gender as the core of the populism, populist wave. So you're saying that the situation in Brazil is very similar to the United States and other parts of the world? Where, what countries do you have in we mind? Ha we have some flavors, local flavors. So to have a president that is also a former guy from the army, it's something that is a local flavor compared to the United States. But when we go to Eastern Europe, it's quite similar. But again, is a right-wing wave having gender as a moral issue. And in this regard, what would you call on U.S. feminists, people who really care about LGBTQ movements to do to support Brazil? I would say that we need to understand better what is going on in the global South and mainly in Brazil. The first mistake is to compare Bolsonaro with Trump. They have some similarities, but as I said, is a populist from the South with a history of dictatorship. Yeah, in fact, he even recently instructed the Ministry of Education or supported the Ministry of Education in teaching in schools that there hadn't been a military dictatorship, that there had not been a military coup d'etat in 1964. What was the reaction that people had to that? It was a tremendous reaction against him. He had to step back related to his idea of rewriting the history. So it was not that easy. So what we have now is a growing movement from civil society saying, 
A, we said no in the past to have you in, in power, but it's not that easy to make what you want to do. So, Deborah, if you were in Brazil right now and you were teaching, and what, would you, what advice would you give to your students about how they need to kind of confront this new situation? I would say to my students that we need an evidence-based turn. So the time of fake news has to be over. So we need science. We need academics as to survive and to change the political climate in the country. So we need them. Recently, uh, the U.S.-Brazil Chamber of Commerce asked the Natural History Museum in New York to sponsor a gala event to honor Jair Bolsonaro and some prominent U.S. person. We're not really sure who that is. After widespread pressure, the board of trustees or the directors had to withdraw their contract. It seems that the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, also vetoed a second venue. What do you think is the impact of people around the world saying no to Jair Bolsonaro? And the second venue also said no to him. It's good to remember. It was a restaurant. So as a citizenship of the globe, all of us, we have a role here. It can be the owner of a restaurant saying, no, a guy that does not respect human rights cannot be here to be recognized as an international leader. So this was for me a good example that all of us, we have a role to protect democracy around the globe. What's the hardest thing for you living outside of Brazil? That I cannot go back. I'm not safe to go back to the country. I have my family, my parents, and I cannot go back. What do you miss the most? To be there at this moment. I have a role as a professor and as a human rights activist to be there doing my role. And I'm now using the venue of social media to be there. I want to thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your views with us today on Brazil Unfiltered. Thank you, James. Obrigada. This episode of Brazil Unfiltered was produced by Dan Richards and Alina Coleman. I'm James Green. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you heard, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps others find the show. For more information about Brazil Unfiltered, as well as Watson's other podcasts, go to watson.brown.edu. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Brazil Unfiltered. Até logo!